Everybody's recording? Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Oh, that's really peaky. Same. I got to <laughs> calm down here. Trying to bring that energy that is so well-deserved. Now we're going to set that recording volume to a solid 69. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, now is Ken leaving? Yes. Get back here. No, I was just turning on the backlight so I wouldn't be sitting in the dark room oh, brooding okay. over how amazing this movie is and I'll never measure up to it. <sighs> You know what? I was just about to say, hey, I'm Ken, but that's not my line. I'm Ken. (laughs) I know. Spider-Man point. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. And we're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we're dragging you back out to the paddock to watch no dinosaurs show up for us by, once again, talking about Jurassic Park. Park Guys, did we make a, did we make a, a bad That's... decision on trying to deep dive on on a movie that is so beloved? <laughs> I, I think we might no. have. We should have done something. We should have I... done something lower caliber. We're only we're only <laughs> like forty this, minutes in. This needs to happen. What, like like prehistoric prehistoria or some shit like that? Just prehistoria. You talking <laughs> hysteria? Or hysteria? Is that it? I thought it was prehistoric. I don't, I don't remember. I just remember a vague childhood memory of renting it a few times from from the movie store. That's all uh, I remember. Oh no, it's prehistoric. One, two, we're and like three. not even halfway through the movie yet, guys. <laughs> like let's let's put the pedal. Let's put our foot on the gas a little bit here. Like a nudgery trying to take a can to the dock. <laughs> all right, not like these uh, jeeps being dragged over electric uh, rails. Mm, they're not jeeps. They're Ford Explorers. So I'm going to put apologies. a time limit on us here. So now we need to finish within the next three episodes. So we are going to max out at six. We cannot go longer than that. So you don't want to try to go for a Star Wars nine? No. (laughs) I was thinking we'd be able to get it done in seven. No, he wants to keep this in between the amount of times that dinos get sick. Yeah, I think six or seven is doable. I think six is going to six is going to ruin it for us. <laughs> don't be like that, Dan. Be positive. No, I, I want, yeah. I want an odd lot. number. I don't want a positive number. The second half of this movie has a lot of running that we can just skip over. It does. There we go. The scenes See? are a lot shorter as well. Yeah, there's a lot more scenes. There's a lot it's more like, stuff going on, It's like we've gotten too. through all the exposition and we actually get into the action in the film. <gasps> uh, well, actually, more exposition to come. Damn it. In the very next scene. <laughs> after we talk about this one so so with the dilophosaurus scene did you guys know that there's actually going to be a viewing like they're going to see the dilophosaurus in the original script uh really i'm so glad they scrapped that yeah because yeah i I like that because it it furthers that narrative of you can try to control as much as you can but you can't control everything especially nature you can't make them show up and tap dance on a fucking stage for you it's not gonna happen i love going to zoos and then i forget about animals not being like out to see them mm-hmm. it's the worst part of going to a zoo especially when it's hot it's it's such a great great scene it really drives that <laughs> forward drives forward the fact that they've now witnessed two blank cages and that's just like this whole top being blown off of everything's in control you cannot control that aspect of it and it's such a wonderful way to do it i love it and not only that but they're at the t-rex cage and they put out a goat to lure it out 
That goat's like maybe 10 feet, maybe 10 feet within the cage. That's crazy dangerous. It is. It's also like <laughs> the tiniest of snacks for an animal that large. Well, it didn't turn its nose up to well, it. Well, yeah, but was it out of spite? I feel like the, the, he, he ate the goat out of spite. I wonder how those goats get in there. We're not that far yet. <laughs> well, what comes next is one of my absolute favorite scenes in the entire film. And that is... It's a scene I want to talk about. Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern. Oh, no. Oh, oh. I'm talking about the cast... Chaos, the chaos effect. theory. Malcolm trying to explain to Settler Stop what the theory actually means. No, no. It's so unbecoming. Oh, it's so good. You guys skipped over our forte of the IT scene, and probably the first time that Nedry brings up his financial troubles, and uh, the classic, do you think anyone else could network eight connection machines and uh, <laughs> troubleshoot two million lines of code? Uh, I, got, for this job, I got yeah. curious about this part. And I was like, what the hell is a connection machine? And so I look it up. It's apparently it was a thing where it was a uh, nope. computer cube with 16 chips each that all networked. They were uh, called thinking machines. They were, mm-hmm. they were supposed to emulate human thought with the amount of uh, connections they had inside oh, of them. Oh boy. I had to look that up myself like 10 years ago because I, I, I always remember that quote and I was like, what is that exactly? And then I just Googled it one day. I, th- I thought maybe it was something and they made up for the movie, but no. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went bankrupt in 93 or 94. So it almost felt like they put it in this movie. So people would be like, oh yeah, we need some of those. Yeah. I mean, with, with the, <laughs> with the control center in mind, I can't remember the exact amount of money, but it was something absolutely ludicrous. But yeah, they had a crap ton of insanely, insanely expensive gear on loan from all these companies like IBM and Apple and everything. So it was like a showcase of the best tech at the time sitting in a room for a movie and it was pretty damn cool for me personally i've always wondered what those those racks in the back are with the red blinking lights that always looked really cool i love that but yeah it's just i I wish i could have spent more time in the control center seeing all the different tech that they had in there they should set up a uh jurassic park the original series uh theme park that you could walk through the you can walk through the whole visitor center it'd be a dream and experience the first day of the dinosaurs i i was extremely upset that would actually be really cool i was extremely upset with the um there's the telltale game which i was really pumped about because that's always been one of my dreams is going back to the control center but they never do and then there was camp cretaceous and they teased in season three the visitor center it's like oh my god i can't wait and what they do they just kind of stayed around the front rotunda and then it fell apart and it's the same thing with jurassic world jurassic world they teased the visitor center i'm like yay we're gonna see some behind the scenes stuff of decrepit jurassic park infrastructure this is like what i've dreamed of as a kid going back and seeing the park all dismantled and shitty mm-hmm. nope same thing pretty much like five minutes of walking around a rotunda and then they're in a garage and that's really the only thing you ever see is the garage well you also get the uh shot of the gift store being dilapidated yeah, and you, yeah, I mean, you do get the jeep, the jeeps in Jurassic World. That's what I'm saying. They go to the garage, and that's where the rest of it like, stays. Right. It's just I would have loved to have had just a little tiny bit more walking time. Walk through the f- restaurant. I don't know. Walk through the control room. Just anything. It just feels like such a lost opportunity to visit that that insanely, insanely popular set to just go in the rotunda and call it quits. I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> And then the uh, 2 million lines of code. Did you know that Windows 3.1, the popular Windows at the time, had 2.5 million lines of code? Mm. So this was running on, this entire park was running on less than Windows 3.1. I believe it. (laughs) It's almost like they hadn't heard of uh, search functionality at that time because in order, 
you wouldn't have to look through all 2 million lines of code. You could just, uh, whatever the search button is, F3 maybe, and then type in white rabbit and be able to find all instances of whatever he had called in in his uh, script. Oh, yeah. oh Ken. Yeah. But that's... <laughs> Later, talk to you. <laughs> you're you're asking a movie set in the '90s to be able to they handle about hackers. to be able to handle software like Notepad plus plus. What? I mean, I mean, look at the <laughs> I mean, look at the video that Nedry has on his computer. It's clearly a QuickTime video. He presses play and he's talking to it like it's a live action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that though. Right? Yeah, we'll get well, to we that. Gotta, we gotta we gotta go back to the paddock and stuff, anyways. So we'll come back. We'd have to go back right. to all that, but. But just commenting on this parts because I, I know when they were talking about the uh, the vehicle headlights being on and being run by the car battery versus being run by the track, that to me still sticks out to this day as one of the most clever pieces of writing because that fully explains when the when the Tyrannosaurus Rex attack does happen, why the headlights are still on in the vehicle, why the lights are still illuminated when it hits the tree, all that stuff. They thought about the little thing like that. I had they notes about, about that. Can, yeah. we, can we can we stop jumping <laughs> like two scenes ahead? He makes the commenter. No, he makes the comment right here. He makes the comment of the vehicle headlights aren't responding. <laughs> it's just the, yeah, the running yeah, list yeah. of everything. It's uh, 151 glitches. Yep, yep. Our lives are in your hands and you've got butterfingers. It's probably one of my favorite quotes still. <laughs> <laughs> Another great line is, I don't whatever, but I do expect people to pay for them. That's, that's I where this... don't blame people for their mistakes, but I do right, expect that they it. pay for them. Yes. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> that was always one of my favorite responses. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly in a debate at all. It's just such a great back and forth squabbling between those two. Oh, you can just feel the animosity. You can feel that he just doesn't respect his boss and he hates his boss and his boss is just fed up with him too. It's just such a great scene. I love it. The joys of being the lo- lowest bidder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, but but then we move on. We're, we're heading to... To the T-Rex. We're heading to the um, Triceratops enclosure after Dilophosaurus and T-Rex. Well, yep. Actually, we got to do T-Rex first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, T-Rex enclosure... Nothing shows up. This is where the goat is. Goat, yep. Where does the goat come from? How do they keep the uh, underneath stocked with goats? Well, they kind of explain it in Camp Cretaceous in the books, in that there's it's just like Disney World and stuff, where there's just the massive tunnel structure underneath the park. So it's something that you don't okay. unfortunately get to see in the movie, but there's tunnels, maintenance tunnels under everything. So you're saying they could have probably went into those maintenance tunnels instead of Had they walking known. over land. Had they known, yeah. Had they given a second's thought to how that goat got there, <laughs> they could have <laughs> yeah. stopped right. pointing out the plot holes in this movie, Ken. This movie's a masterpiece. I mean, I have another. You leave alone. I still thoroughly enjoy that Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock. Oh my it god, the practical effects! Such in that a gigantic. Scene. Holy butts! It's such a gigantic ass scene, and yeah, it was it was a huge undertaking for the team. It was the biggest fence they built. It was just this gigantic structure, poured concrete and everything. And Stephen wanted the, the the wires for the fence to look like they were taut, so they had to go through hell trying to make them perfectly straight and not sag at all. And it just looks so commanding. That's why you had the 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 like mesh. It was not really mesh, but the the, the vertical wires. Oh yeah, like the, the hexagon. Top. Yep. Yeah, the hexagonal pattern. Like it's so cool. Everything that goes into this stuff. If you look at the T Rex paddock at the first time when they go past it, the vertical and and hexagonal connecting wires aren't on the fence. Did they digitally remove no, them, or did they, they just, it just was, not they, have they them? They just in. weren't on the fence at that time. At the point where they filmed. Yeah. Okay. I think the only fence that I recall seeing those on is the perimeter fence for the visitor center. And the T-Rex fence. It's there. Is well, it I there? mean, it's it's there when 
Timmy gets toasted. No, no, he's climbing over the perimeter fence. That's the, not the perimeter command. fence. That's the that's the T Rex paddock. No, that's the perimeter fence because when Ellie flips the switch for it's perimeter T-Rex. fence, that's when he gets shot. T Rex perimeter. No, it's not the T Rex. They're, oh, they're miles I'm away. From I'm the going to have to look at it. No, their journey starts at the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock. They walked all the way across the island back to the visitor center in that amount of time. They're climbing over the perimeter fence that protects the visitor center. Yep, it's the last fence before the per- the visitor center. They said that. Uh, right before the swarm. Uh, the Gallimimuses? Yes. The Gala. It's yes. the T-Rex Gala, paddock Gala, fence. Gallimimus. Tim gets thrown from the paddock fence. And it becomes a T-Rex paddock at that point. I knew I was nope, right. I'm not letting I'm this go. I'm going to show you not the this freaking go. YouTube video for it. Not, not, it might be the same fence that they filmed that. However, no, it can't even oh, be because it's not near enough trees. You are going to eat the humblest of pies. Here's the YouTube's YouTube clip of it. Oh, man, I'm peeking real bad. Ooh, turn that down a little bit. Oh, because, no, it's the, she was just flipping the perimeter fence when you got zapped. It's T-Rex exactly. No, the, the No, she flipped the T-Rex random, and went back to him. He's still on the fence. This is a then, random YouTube video uh, just titled Jurassic Tim Gets Electrocuted from the T-Rex Paddock. In the movie, if you watch it, Ellie's flipping down. T-Rex Paddock is one of the first uh, switches she flips. No, it's not. And actually, I'm going to go I'm gonna go watch, grab the toy. I'm going to go grab the toy. Watch the video. <laughs> or you know what? You know what? We'll have to, we'll just have to wait until we get to that point. All right, John Arnold, show me your secrets. I've got the Mattel John Arnold missing scene Velociraptor attack set here. Bam. Bam. Uh, I just watched the The video. second to the last switch is the Tyrannosaurus Rex Paddock. The very right. last switch is yeah. perimeter fence. Oh, right. Yep. And in this but clip, if you watch the video, she flips the T Rex. No, it, she flips the switch. He's still holding on to the fence, when so he the, would have already been shocked. Right. So the next one down was the perimeter. So him getting shocked was him on the T Rex uh, to imply that she flipped the next switch underneath the T Rex Which T-Rex is paddock. the one underneath yeah, that. They don't cut the back perimeter to her fence. Flipping the next switch is the perimeter fence. The one that she, the one that they like, she she flips the T Rex paddock. It cuts to Tim holding it. It cuts back to her. She moves down to the T-Rex paddock, and then it cuts back to Tim, and Tim gets electrocuted. Tim is on the T-Rex paddock. No, no, you are wrong. You, in you the are video, wrong, it says Which perimeter the fence one below. when he gets shot. I pulled it up, I pulled it up right now. Right. I pulled it up right now. Here we go to that scene. <laughs> He's holding on to the fence while she flips the switch for the T-Rex paddock. There my miss. Right. Here's the switch. Yes, if you, uh, when you're watching. All right, I got it up right now. I got it up right now. I got it right now. Timmy's on the fence. Uh Uh-huh. Got a three. She flips the switches. Velociraptor. Uh Uh-huh. T-Rex. She flips the switch. T-Rex paddock, and he's still holding on the fence. Then she switches perimeter fence, and he gets shocked off. Perimeter fence. T-Rex paddock. (laughs) It's it's implied. It shows that. It shows T-Rex paddock. The next one is uh, perimeter fence, and it's implied that she went down and flipped the, uh, perimeter fence because so i think you can even kind of see a shadow of the uh the yeah, switch she's moving thing. to the next she's switch. already moved to the next one and is flipping that when he gets shocked i'm gonna pause it i'm gonna pause it right at that i'm gonna try to get a screenshot of this i can oh. i see it in the clip that i sent you yeah i'm seeing something different in the same clip that you right, sent. so us. i paused it i paused it at one hour and 44 seconds or one hour and 44 minutes and 10 seconds She's pressing the T-Rex paddock fence, and literally the next scene is Tim hanging on the wire as she's opening the plastic case 
for perimeter fence below it. So Tim is still on the fence. Right. And he's about to he's about to jump, and I am pausing it. There's but, the shocks on his hands. But would it he's be falling the, off the, the fence. charge running across cables? They're over. Nope. They're not he's, at the perimeter. He just fence. got shocked. He just got shocked in the hands. And the next literal scene is cutting back to Ellie Sattler's thumb leaving the perimeter fence button. Boom! I'm looking at the same scene. <laughs> I am watching it it's within very seconds. Quick. I am watching it within seconds. I'm thinking of how, how long it would take electricity to charge the, the entirety of a fence that is miles long. Not long. But it, but it doesn't make sense. If you look at the map of the park, if you look at the map of Jurassic Park, the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock is all the way on the other side of the island. If they would have just simply been able to get to the visitor center by climbing the T-Rex paddock fence, they would have been in the visitor center the same day. They had to trek across the entire freaking island to get to the perimeter fence that surrounds the compound, climb that fence, and then get in. No, I guess that, that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make literally any sense for them to climb the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock fence again. <laughs> Especially since there's a hole in it. I mean, you'd have to climb a 50-foot drop, but we're not even there yet. <laughs> I totally Jerks. derailed this entire conversation. I am sorry, <laughs> gentlemen. I'm glad I had fun. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah, I, I'm throwing a picture of the map in here. I know the map kind of varies uh, between prop and prop, but that's the general layout. The Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock is on the east or the the west side. Ah, the east, east side, side of, the, of the island. And the we visitor we center we is on the, the north side. The weast, the weast. <laughs> and the visitor center is in the northwest-ish. So, yeah. Neo. Okay. <laughs> now, back to your scene about chaos. Yes! <laughs> oh, all right, it all comes circular. Oh, it all comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, that is... Okay, so, again, it's a bit of information. They were originally, like I said, in I think our last episode, they were going to cut Malcolm from the movie entirely because they didn't know how to write him. They didn't know how to bring him into the movie because his character was just so dry in the books. Yeah, he it's he wasn't like, a playboy. Malcolm was like uh, like the the king of nerds. Exactly. It's like yeah, it's just like you have this mathematician, math. and it's like how do you how do you make people actually relate to that? So the thing that happened is Stephen actually said to Goldblum that they're thinking about cutting Ian's character and and mixing it with Grant. And Goldblum said, "I hope you don't do that." And he came in and did a test. And literally the way that Jeff Goldblum is shaped the entire character of Ian Malcolm. The way that he talks, the way he announces things, the way that he carries himself, immediately the scriptwriter at the time was able to like just completely th throw everything out he was thinking and start writing Ian Malcolm as Jeff Goldblum. And that's the whole reason why it started taking shape, because Jeff Goldblum being the way he is. <laughs> so... This scene is a huge impact from that because this would have just been gone. So here he is explaining to Ellie Sadler the chaos effect, the chaos theory, and just trying to explain how it pertains to, you know, the smallest changes in life changing something drastic. And the whole water droplet scene is just so, mm, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's Malcolm. Like you said, he's a, he's a massive nerd. He's a massive mathematician, chaotician. But he's also a smarmy guy at his core, 
which is also relevant in the scene later on with with Grant, but we'll get to that one. It's just so you talking about. He's the, got so many great one-liners. The line one-liners. that it's Ellie amazing. Ellie sends or finishes. God creates. No, God no. creates man. I'm talking. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Oh, Women yes. inherit the earth. Yes, I love that yep. line. I, it's not an it iconic is so line, but it it's one of the lines that like gives it it gives you a real reason to like Ellie. Oh, it's on shirts and everything, man. It's it's a very iconic line. That is one of the best freaking lines that, that she says. It's amazing. <laughs> it's iconic. It's also a really hard setup to the entire line, so it's not it's probably the reason why people yeah, quote it. It's a, little, it's a lot it's of setup wordy. to it. I've seen, I've seen at least the last half of it. I've seen at least uh, Dinosaur eat, Eats Man and Women Inherits the Earth as as things on shirts and cups and stuff. But yep. Yeah, it's... um. It's a great scene. It's a wonderful scene. It really shows Ian Malcolm. It really shows Grant, too, with just how focused he is on the Triceratops that he doesn't even see or care about this happening next to him. (laughs) Because it just shows how focused he is and how much excitement he has to experience the things at the park. And to be honest, that's the first dinosaur they're seeing outside of the Brachiosaurus. It's a little confusing to me, Mm -hmm. though, that they pick this subject that is kind of simple on the surface for Ellie, the one who's good at every goddamn thing on the earth to be stupid about. She's just a paleobotanist. What do you mean? She's not a Mary Sue in any shape or form. Is she stupid about it? Or is, is she just playing along because she knows that Malcolm's a playboy? Either way, either way. She's a botanist. And then all of a sudden takes control from the veterinarians to, uh, to, to figure out what is wrong with this here. Triceratops. She, she tends to, uh, have expertise outside of botany in my opinion i don't know man it's gonna be hard to get me on that train because when i picture somebody having too much ability to do anything my first thought's ray from star wars it's a character written for girls that is a mary sue through and through okay we're not going superheroes here though we're talking about real life things but she's not a superhero and neither is ellie ellie knows how to shine a flashlight into an animal's eye to see if it contracts sure and uh, uh, microvesculoles or some shit like that. But she's a paleobotanist. She's asking the questions to the veterinarian about what the Triceratops is eating because she knows how the food, how those different plants impact an animal that ingests them. That's why she's shining the flashlight in the eye. That's why she's checking the microvesicles because she's looking for hints of them eating something that's poisonous. She's a paleobotanist. That, that went <laughs> way too quickly along with the entirety of this people showing up around a dinosaur. I do feel sad. He, um, that's actually, uh, he was one of the producers or something, but I love Jerry Harding in this movie, even though you get to only see him for what, like a minute? Tops. The real yeah. talk though, did they ever explain why the Triceratops got sick? They, it's implied. Uh, it's implied that they, so they go back to that conversation about picking plants just because they look good and not really truly understanding them. It's just another piece of, uh, fuel adding to the fire that they just picked shit, put it in a park that looked nice and didn't really think about the detrimental effects that it would cause. They're only caring about the showmanship. But why every six weeks? It's <laughs> a good question. They don't go into it too much. I mean, they give you a little bit to nibble on, but they don't force feed you the answer. It's one of those mysteries that's there. I don't think it's even explained in the book. Right. Yeah. And it is, I guess, overarching. They don't know what they have here. Yeah. And they're ready to open. Exactly. They're trying so desperately to open. Like, they have merch. And they don't even know what's going on with this Triceratops. Like, that's yeah. that's really almost what I feel what they're trying to do here is, like, look at what you have. You have this sick Triceratops. It's sick, sick every six weeks, mm-hmm. but you don't know why. 
you have plants here that could be causing it. You don't think the animals are eating it. It's another one of those. You just, you don't know what you have here. What are you doing? So you don't know. That's exactly it. And with Malcolm's comment when they're in the boardroom scene and just moving on with the rest of the movie, that's really, really hammering it over the head. And that's what the book at its core was about. And that's what Crichton was trying to get over is just, yeah, it's cool that, you know, you have this power to do this thing, but nobody stops and thinks about the consequences. They just want to do it. And that's really what this is all about. And in the book, it was actually a Stegosaurus, I believe. Instead of a triceratops, triceratops that was sick? Yeah, I think that's. I think it was a stegosaurus. Yeah, but the the book goes into it a little bit more, and it says basically, so kind of like animals today, like like cows and whatnot, they they do ingest some the, some rocks when they eat stuff just to mash up the food that's in their stomach, right? Uh, because of lack of acid to break it down. But essentially, they eat small stones to help crush the food. And in the book, from what I remember, it was. It implied or insinuated that the that the Stegosaurus was eating rocks that were too close to the West Indian lilac, which is why they bring up West Indian lilac in the movie as a carryover from the book. Ah. But they don't go over, they don't beat you over the head and say that that is specifically what's causing it. But that's another thing, like you said, where it's like, here's this park. They've spared no expense. They've thrown money into everything possible for entertainment purposes. But they, at the core, don't know what the hell they even have. <laughs> they don't know why their dinosaurs are getting sick because they're not taking the time to actually understand their environment, their enclosure, what they eat, how they eat, why they eat, things like that. It's just this crazy environment where all they care about is, we have this really exciting thing and we can't wait to show people. Screw everything else. We just can't wait to get to the next part where people can see it. <laughs> That's what I love about it. I absolutely love that. I'll toss in the fact that he's been developing this park for so long now and money, money, money's just shoveling <laughs> money in. He needs to start earning money. Yeah. Otherwise, the investors I mean, will be pissed like, and everyone else. You, yeah. <laughs> right. So, right. I mean, when you look at it from a capitalism point of view, that's money saying, okay, yes, we we know we're, we are not ready, but damn, we, we need to start seeing some income. Yep. So yeah, maybe there was some pressure from the investors, but he was adamant during that dinner that they weren't going to, this was a park for everyone. They weren't going to be charging $2,000, $10,000 a day. So yes, he wants it open for money, but also he really just wants to show off, I feel, his this cool new thing he has. Yeah, exactly. He just, he's so excited to show them something that nobody's seen before. He wants to be able to throw it out there, watch people's reactions. He's just obsessed with getting to that high. He doesn't care about anything else that's in the way. And speaking from a disconnected view of the movie, so that's that's within universe, the lilac berries and everything else. But in terms of the actual filming, though, it was apparently going to be a scene and it got cut. So it's going to go further into it. But I love the way that a lot of stuff in this movie turned out because of either, you know, budget constraints or because things got um, destroyed by the hurricane that came through because it actually lends to the film so much more. You don't have Dilophosaurus being spotted, and it's just another piece adding to the whole mystery of why aren't dinosaurs around? Oh, because we don't know how to actually do anything with them because we don't know what we have. You have this Triceratops thing where it's very heavily implied that the Triceratops is eating West Indian lilac. They don't know why, but there's a scene where she has the poop on her hand. There's, you know, the rocks and stuff like that around. So it's implied why they're getting sick. But again, it's another thing of you don't even know what's going on because they don't even know what's going on. 
there's a lot of stuff in the production of this movie that makes that keep going and it makes me so so happy and thankful that i guess a hurricane came through and destroyed some shit <laughs> it, it changed the plans for some things so. plus that that hurricane comes up really fast well it did in the movie production too I don't know if you guys knew this, but do you know what the first scene filmed in the movie was? Didn't we... Did we talk about this? I can't remember I if we did. I don't so. think so, because it's not ringing a bell. Literally, the very first scene filmed in the movie was the perimeter fence, with Timmy being shocked off of it. Really? Yeah, so, like, Richards had to try to kind of, like, get into character and be really upset about her brother on the ground possibly dead on the first day of shooting with people that she's never met. So, like, that's... They did that. They did the Dennis Nedry scene with the with the gate where he goes to open it in the pouring rain. They did a bunch of stuff like that. And then they had some other things planned. But then the hurricane wasn't supposed to hit the island. And then it changed and suddenly came towards the island. And that's when everything fell off the rails. So anything that they did have planned, like filming, you know, Ray Arnold's death later on, filming the Dilophosaurus enclosure scene with actual Dilophosaurus, all that stuff kind of went out the window because either budgetary constraints, because they're trying to keep things tighter, or they split-second decision thought this would make for a better scene if we didn't have this, or the hurricane came and destroyed it and they didn't have a chance to film it. So it's, it's kind of like a perfect storm of things that happened. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But anyways, yeah. So <laughs> we have the Triceratops scene, which still... Gorgeous. It's just one of the most majestic, gripping scenes. It's incredible watching the cast's reaction because it was legitimate. It was real. They didn't know what they were walking in to see. And they, there's a Stan Winston animatronic just breathing on the ground. And just the ability for Stan Winston and his crew to pull off something so incredible that to this day it still looks unbelievably realistic. To the fact that it made made Steven Spielberg cry. (laughs) The fact that, you know, the thing that blew him away specifically was the breathing and the ribcage. And he actually, like, on the spot decided to make Grant, you know, go up to the ribcage and actually put his head against it. Because that's how he felt with his excitement. Like, there's so many things that bleed over like that. You really get the sense that the team working on this movie knew what they were doing. And they were doing what everybody wanted. They were bringing dinosaurs back to life for the first time, just like the source material. <laughs> but that Triceratops just, yeah. damn, damn. It was so cool to, I mean, that opening shot where they see like a handful of dinosaurs from far away mm-hmm. is cool. But then you don't see anything for a while. And then they give you one up close that everyone's touching and it's physical it actually is there it's not cg and it basically kind of makes you like what is that uh your disbelief uh suspension disbelief broken down yeah 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 so now you buy in harder on these dinosaurs because of how real the first one you see up close I mean, to a T, it's got tears, it's got saliva, it's breathing, it's got everything going on. Its it's eyes are blinking, (laughs) dilating, its nostrils are moving in and out, it's not coming out of them. Yeah, and it's not just, like, (laughs) the chest going up and down. There's, like, (laughs) multiple levels to the breathing where, like, one part gets small, the other part gets bigger. Like, it actually looks like a real breath is happening. If that were to get up and run away, you'd be like, oh, it's an actual Triceratops. I'm not <laughs> yep. surprised at all. There's a meme yep. running around on the internet of oh, uh, somebody. No, it's not Goldblum. Somebody just talking <laughs> oh. about how these effects in this movie are 
as old as they are, are just so good. And then someone else makes a, makes a, a comment about somebody must have sold their soul <laughs> to make the effects of this movie as effective as I they mean, are. Realistically, yes. Like like we've said, the only thing that really kind of doesn't hold up still is, is the Brachiosaurus because it's in broad daylight and it's a little bit tougher of a shot to blend the skin and the movement with the way that it moved. But this Triceratops, I mean... Yeah. You can't tell me that when you saw this, you didn't think it was a real live living dinosaur. And I know that's why Steven Spielberg was blown away by it too, because like you said, Ken, the breathing, it isn't just going up and down. It was going in a way that actually made it look like the Triceratops was having difficulty breathing, like it was having labored breaths. It's just incredible what the team pulled off with this thing. Part of me kind of wants to see what it looks like on the inside. Oh, I've always wondered. Part of myself. me doesn't because then my magic, because <laughs> then the magic's just going to be yeah, ruined. Don't but do it. Like, yeah, not the worth mechanic, it. The mechanical. Well, there's actually a team inside. Well, don't do it. Don't what? do it. Just, just <laughs> let the magic be magic. Okay, cover your no. cover your ears if you need to. Is it a team of organs? No, like lungs and heart. Okay, spoiler <laughs> if you won't want the movie magic ruined. But essentially, what happened was Stan Winston Studios was fully fully intending for this to be shot on on a set and that's what they were planning for steven when he got to hawaii was really overcome by everything and really wanted to have you know it on in in the lush environment because he's really getting used to how, how gorgeous it was and how it lent a hand to everything so he changed it to have the triceratops actually filmed on location so stan winston freaked out they got it finished he brought it over luckily they dug a hole in the ground and inside of that triceratops are a bunch of stan winston puppeteers they're the ones making everything happen from the breathing to the arms moving, the, the mouth, tongue, eyes. They're all laying underneath oh, it in a hole. <laughs> that makes sense. Right? It's so good. Now I'm going to be looking for hands every time I watch this. All right, where's the hand? Who's pushing there through this thing? There is only one hand in this movie that you can see, and it's it's like a split second, and you wouldn't have you if you weren't tearing a scene frame by frame down you wouldn't have noticed like we're it. doing yeah yeah <laughs> even so i don't know i didn't notice i don't think oh i i have notes about it well yeah, i'll be well, interested yeah, when we get there when we get there not yet but soon maybe in like four episodes say is the size of that triceratop poop in direct correlation to the size of the triceratops because it's as tall as the people are yeah yeah uh, i have notes i've that's always bothered me because like it it it's so much poop, but I imagine it's it's a zoo, so they're just making stacks of poop. It could be, yeah, it could from be the just enclosure like, instead of even let it go back into the wild. Yeah, that's just where they were storing it. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what like how big an actual like Triceratops's poop would be. Well, I mean, you got to look at a Triceratops because um, this one's laying outside, so it's hard to get a scope for it. But it is almost twice as tall as a as a fully grown adult yeah for me it's always been the way that it looks in the movie does not make it look as as large as that graphic stating that we also have to remember that that is not a full-grown triceratops yep yeah it's always a possibility because they're pulling stuff out of the poop of other triceratops and not the sick triceratops (laughs) well but that would just be more proof proof of the fact that they weren't eating the plants well that would be like me going to the vet and being like i don't know i was at the dog park i grabbed some poop (laughs) there you go 
Make sure my dog is not sick. Since we're talking about what? it, did you notice that she uh, pulls the glove off her hand and then grabs the glove with her ungloved uh, hand? Yes. God, it's because it shows, so it shows how tenacious she is. She is not a damsel in distress. She is a fucking trooper, and she is just a human being like everyone. No, but we're going to break PPE I, because of that? Come on. She's such a She's in the field and doesn't give a shit because she's, she's just a scientist a at heart. She's curious. It. <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice for years, and then this time around, uh, I saw that, and then I heard uh, Malcolm say, make sure to wash your hands before you eat anything, and for years I just thought he was being weird because she's wearing gloves, what does he care? Nope. Nope. He had a quip. <laughs> yep. He had to come up with a quip to say it. He her. noticed. <laughs> I wonder if that's in the script or if that's just that's him yelling that because he noticed she grabbed it like that. Right, right. Can you imagine this movie? Just take a step back. Can you imagine this movie without Malcolm? Can you imagine it without his quips, without his jokes throughout the whole thing? I don't think it would be the same movie. I, I think it would be want dry. I, yeah, it would be. I mean, there's so many quotable Malcolm quotes in this movie. It's just, it, he created a cult, basically, based off his character. Like, he's required to <laughs> like make the sci- make Alan and Ellie be like, you know what? He's right. We really don't know what we have here. Mm-hmm. So it's it's his charisma, his jumping out and saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You don't know what you have to make everyone else, except for the lawyer, who's obviously also an accountant who wants to make money. Yeah, it, Ian's there to yeah. kind of drive the entire, be the leader of the anti-Hammond League, if you will. <laughs> Anti-Hammond League. Sounds like a great 80s band. <laughs> Um, so sidebar on the costuming in this movie, I just read this recently, but did you guys know that there was no costume designer for the film just because they wore normal clothing? Really? I mean, why bother? Why bother? Yeah. Right. And one of my favorite things, I read this, there was a book that came out uh, at the end of last year. It's the, uh, official, whatever it is, Jurassic Park, you know, the entire visual history of the first three movies. And I know a lot about the movies, but I didn't know this. The people put in charge of picking out Gennaro's uh, wardrobe, they were trying to come up with something and they're just like, they came up with the fact that he's got, you know, shorts, a a three-piece suit top, long sleeve shirt and and tie. And it was just impractical. But then they realized and they they pitched it to Steven that it, it just comes off as it's showing how like out of his element he is and how he just probably grabbed that crap at an airport before heading over to the island. (laughs) And it just, he loved it. So he kept it in. And it's the same thing with Malcolm. Malcolm's got his, his long leather jacket, impractical as hell. He's all dressed in black out in the middle of this jungle, but it leads to his, it lends to his character being this rock star persona type. It's these characters brought so much with just even something small like that. And Ellie's costume and choice and everything else. It's just perfect. Absolutely perfect. But yeah, we get to that thunder roll after the poop. Gennaro looks a little scared in his shorts and his long sleeve shirt. And, uh, yeah. I do miss, we did go over one of my favorite quotes from uh, Muldoon, though. I told you how many times we need locking mechanisms on the vehicle doors. <laughs> Again. That's like the, what, 20th, like, earmarked piece of dialogue since the movie began of, we don't have what we need. <laughs> it's like, who would have expected guys to get out of the car? <laughs> yeah. I- I'm glad you said that because we're going to going back to the t-rex paddock real soon here and i need to talk about that and that's just it you can plan for everything but you're not going to be able to plan for everything it's just not possible (laughs) so we'll get into the illusion aspect of all that later on but yeah it's a great scene great comments and yeah we are on to the t-rex paddock Uh, not quite 
there's that not there's quite that little bit we're on of, to... little bit of time back in the co- in the in the in the command yeah, center control Nedry. center with Nedry and Arnold and all of them mostly mm-hmm. because I have one of I have another another iconic line note so yeah is this the part where Nedry uh, says he's gonna go get him so- something salty <laughs> yeah because he had something sweet so he wants to get something salty even it out <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's a pretty good it's pretty in character. good ex- Pretty good reason to want to it's go good to the logic, vending guys. machine. I've been there. I've been there. Yup. Yeah. I've oh, been yeah. there. Oh man. It's so relatable. I've been there for sure. You get a wonderful shot of his Macintosh logo, and uh, mm-hmm. then he starts a stopwatch on his computer as well as his watch. I mean, the watch makes sense. I guess the stopwatch on the thing was just to start the script. I, I'm not entirely certain what he was starting on the computer. Yeah, he starts he starts the script and times it with his watch so that he knows how much time he's got before the script is supposedly called to an end. Or- well, he's, it's also timed out, so he knows when the uh, when, when each step of his plan can go into place. Exactly, right, exactly, I can exactly. That's what go I steal say. some embryos now. Yep, like five minutes in, now the door's going to unlock. Blah, 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 in, now this is going to happen. So yeah, that's what he's doing. He's tracking what he had. Because Wi-Fi was not a thing in 1993. Nope. Or was it? Correct. When did Wi-Fi, when was the first Wi-Fi thing? Yeah, let's find out. Uh, never. <laughs> There's no Wi-Fi. Only Zool. 97. So not till Jurassic Park, the Lost World-ish time. And even that. September 21st, yeah. 1997. So when Wi-Fi was introduced to personal computers, gaming consoles, smart devices, televisions, printers, smartphones, and security cameras. So yeah, we, uh... We get the treat of Nedry pulling off his espionage now. Hands down, one of my yes. one of my favorite songs off the entire album, John Williams' Nedry Steals the Embryos. I play this a lot on my headphones, like when I'm going through doors where I have to push them open with force. <laughs> and like If I'm going in after hours, <laughs> I work in IT, so if I go in after hours and I have to go through like gated sections and whatnot, I'll, I'll usually have this in as I burst through gates. <laughs> it just makes me feel so good. <laughs> but yeah, he's going through, he's, he's taking the stuff. Um, very, very funny scene in the uh, cold storage room where they misspelled uh, a certain dinosaur's name. Stegosaurus, and, I believe. Yep, Stegosaurus instead of Stegosaurus. <laughs> it's a nice little catch. But yeah, it's a catch that could be was it intentional or did somebody mess up? Exactly. Is it an Easter egg? It'd be or... very fun if it was on purpose, right? But this this scene's done two things for me throughout my whole childhood and my adulthood. Is a I feel like Nedry every time I'm pushing doors open or gates open and trying to make it through something quick. Or anytime literally anything slides into something where there's more than one, I'm instantly brought back to thinking about the, the dinosaur embryos going into the Barbasol can. I'm putting batteries into something where I have to slide them in one by one. <laughs> Barbasol can. I, I'm doing this <laughs> or that. You know, putting things into things every time. Could we just talk about <laughs> how that whole, the, the contraption that they, they cram into that Barbasol can yeah. to hold? <laughs> like... That is so over so well over designed. It is, it is. And in the book, it was just a Gillette can. They didn't really go further into detail with it, but yep. you know, they they took it. They I can't remember who it was, but they saw a Barbasol can while they're out shopping and remembered the colors from their childhood and brought it back. And it's like we're gonna use this. And next thing you know, they threw all this crap inside of that can, and it's so well done. It's like the Holy Grail prop that never existed, and I had one pre-ordered from Chronicle Collectibles, but they went on a business during the pandemic, so... Oh, no. Yeah. Luckily, I got it canceled my money back, but it'll never be... Really sad about that one. You're just gonna have to get a Barbasol can and. Uh, I've thought make about it, it. People have done that. It's just this would have been machined for the first time, so it wouldn't have been flimsy. It would have been so nice to have. 
but between this and the night vision goggles, like those are the two things that every fan truly, truly wants from this movie <laughs> that you just can't get. And I would have said even the dishes, like we were talking about before in the boardroom scene, but they finally made those. But yeah, um, Nedry stealing the embryos. He, he heads off in his Jeep and gets to the gate. That awesome shot of him just uh, overpassing the security and going through. I did have a question. So Nedry's got all these lockdowns happening. Yes. Why is Arnold able to see the fence status if the entire system is locked down by Nedry? Because I don't think... I th- I think it might be a plot hole. I don't think he locked everything down. And I think it was sequenced, like Ken was saying. So individual aspects of the park were going down one piece at a time. Which is why... And he told them that things were going to go down. Yeah. And so it was a calculated risk. That he's like, all right, well, I'll just start throwing off things that went down. They can see that it went down. They'll see it comes back up. So they'll be... Uh, they'll be okay with what happens here. Exactly. Cause at least they'll get by me some time to get the hell out of here. Exactly. Think about it from an espionage standpoint. If you have everything go down at once, it's very obvious something's going on and the guy's not in the room. Where the hell is he? Versus this, it's more so like glitches. It's more like rolling glitches going through the system. The, the thoughts already been embedded that the vehicles aren't responding the way they should. There's all this other crap going on. And then all of a sudden you have this random key security thing go down. You have this random thing go down. If the entire park operations display went down as well too, and the, the ability to track fences and stuff like that, obviously that's a huge red flag. It looked more like it was a bug or a software glitch that was happening. And it's just like, find Nedry, get him in here to fix this shit versus where is Nedry? What is he doing to my park? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. 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 That, that totally yeah. makes sense. <laughs> and then we get the line. Well, a little bit after that, we get the line, please. God damn it. I hate this hacker crap. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love so it. So good. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're at the point where, you know, the vehicles are still rolling. They're, they're having that cool conversation and the explorers stop. Cause that's the next sequence in his script. The tour program stops. And we get that hysterical quip between, you know, Grant and Malcolm, where it's just like, what did I touch? You didn't touch anything. We just stopped. But prior to that, you know, he's trying to offer him a swig of his, uh, his, his alcohol in his flask and he doesn't want any. So they're, they're having their conversation with the Explorer about, uh, kids and the availability of Ellie Sattler and all that good stuff. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines comes up of the kids. Oh, hell yeah. I have, I have three kids. I'm always on the lookout for a future ex Miss Malcolm. That is the smarmiest line from Ian Malcolm. That's the best line for his character, and I will die on that hill for that. But you get this great comedy between the two characters before it hits that something horrific is about to happen, and the vehicle stops. It's a good sense of going from joking, having a good chuckle, and then as the audience even, it's just like, bam, what's going on? They don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen next. They're just in the dark, and we're in the dark. I love that. Love, love, love that. But we know what's going to happen next because we rewound Jurassic Park. This was part four, so please write, review, rate, comment, subscribe, all that stuff, and come back next time because in two weeks, once again, we will be talking Jurassic Park. Part three. Five. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't think it was going to be this long. It's going to be fine. <laughs> We're getting there. So come back in two weeks when we rewind again. Shutting down the episode just as everything else is shutting down. How exciting.